Hi, before we get started today, a quick announcement. The second annual Canadian Advisor Tech Expo is being put on by the Financial Planning Association of Canada this year on March 14th to 17th. If you are a Canadian financial advisor or in management or an executive or just interested in what advisor technology is out there, I highly recommend you sign up. Tickets are on sale at advisortechexpo.ca. And now on to today's show. Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Rebecca Wild, Managing Director of Stocksnips. Stocksnips is an AI and natural language processing platform that harvests data to provide stock purchase and sale indicators. So basically bringing artificial intelligence to the world of stock selection. And with that, here's my interview with Rebecca. Rebecca, thanks for taking the time today. No problem, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So Rebecca Wild, the Stock Snips, tell us about Stock Snips. Yes, certainly. So, uh, you know, very high level overview. Ultimately, what we're doing here at Stock Snips is we're providing investors with a low cost, high performing portfolio model that leverages our proprietary sentiment signals. And ultimately, what this allows is investment managers to then go ahead and provide a competitive edge to their clients. Kind of diving deeper on that point, what we've actually done is we found a way through the use of AI, natural language processing and machine learning to derive a quantified signal that is a robust proxy for measuring investor sentiment at the actual ticker level. And what this has actually then allowed us to do is create AI-based portfolio models that are designed specifically to be more adaptive to changing market conditions and also consider sentiment at the firm level to be a factor in stock selection and portfolio rebalancing. Fantastic. So we're going to dive into that in a moment. But before we get there, uh, let's start by talking about the origin of the company. What led to its creation? What was the problem that was, or the opportunity that people were trying to solve? Yeah, definitely. So my my founder and CEO, Ravi Koka, um, he's been around AI for over three decades. And, you know, back in 2015, the journey really began about six years ago. Uh, the first few years being researched primarily, but the, the goal was to really figure out how can we apply AI to investing and what can be done to ultimately tackle the increasing volume of this unstructured data that's now available, specifically that pertaining to the stock market. So there's a study I actually read recently uh, published by Accenture, and 90% of the world's data was created in the last two years. And obviously, that's growing at an exponential rate. And how can any analyst you know, digest all of this information and make sense of it and apply it to a very rapidly fluid market that is the stock market. So with that being said, um, it's taken several years for us to build the sentiment signals by implementing the latest in NLP and training the machines to actually be competent in financial literacy and so on. So yeah, that was ultimately the the notion behind why stock snips began. And we've seen over 50% of funds have moved into passive indexes. People buy the S&P, the Russell 1000, and forget about it. A lot of these managers they really predominantly become passive. And I think the last couple of years prior to 2022, obviously, we saw an increasing number of younger investors, investors with larger appetites for risk, obviously stemming from huge gains and growth that we saw in the tech and innovation stocks. And that's really ushered an active management kind of buzz again. And so that's a problem that we really wanted to solve is how can these independent RAAs get back into the game of active management and not have to go down the rabbit hole of simply, you know, 
falling behind the the passive indexes that have performed greatly. Excellent. So yeah, ninety lots to unpack there. First off, ninety percent of data created in the last couple of years, and only about half of that was cat memes. So, <laughs> um, right. so yeah, and as for the falling behind passive, you know, more, more people adopting passive. Uh, you know, depends on what country you're talking about. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. So okay, fair enough. So you're taking this and you're measuring sentiment, which is, for lack of a better term, you know, it's something we've talked about this previously. It's kind of a almost a momentum indicator, essentially, right? You're you're sure. taking the tone of the market in unstructured data. And for those who don't know, it's unstructured data stuff that just doesn't show up in tables and, and for us to play with, you know, in simple numbers. So it's got to be taken from different places. Talk about the type of unstructured data that you're harvesting in order to make these recommendations. Yeah, definitely. So I, I mean, I think the key point to begin with behind the technology and then diving into the data is we're deriving sentiment, we're able to quantify it by by basically scouring vetted sources of analyst opinions, uh, news media, SEC filings of a company and so on. So right now we actually look at, you know, over 25 curated sources of news articles, analyst reports, SEC filings. We do not currently look at social media. What we found is that just was an extremely no- noisy data data cesspool of randomness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you know we can do it for for any of those that are interested, but it's you know it's really only useful for intraday trading, and it's not really got any use in any type of long term strategy. So so with that being said, we um, we use machines to basically read over. 50,000 news media articles a day. And from there, the AI and machine learning algorithms, they pick up all of the relevant information out of an article. They classify by topic, they attribute to the specific equity, and much more that I cannot really speak to. Um, I'm not the data scientist, but ultimately that allows us to construct a 360 degree view of a stock. So what we're gaining here is really advantage of a crowd. So rather than just looking at one or two sources, we're actually scouring a collective universe, which really does limit the, any bias that could be had by looking at, you know, just one publisher of, of certain analyst opinions. And we had this conversation when we first met, you know, it's funny because I have had a conversations with people in publicly traded companies who, who are on the other end of this, of this, where essentially they would make, they do their, their normal releases and then they basically get hammered in price and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And lo and behold, they realized that, or someone realized that it was because of AI looking for certain keywords within the, uh-huh. within their financial filings that would otherwise provide positive or negative sentiment sectors. And I guess just the person who was writing it, the language was overly using certain keywords. So they had to re-engineer their, mm-hmm. their filings to basically not get hammered. So it's funny because it's like as it's an ever-evolving marketplace uh, for, for data in this in this instance, just like it is in, in all markets. So, so that raises an interesting question is, you know, assuming people start to figure out, especially on the their SEC filings and other things like that, what it is that's driving the indication of sentiment, how do you adapt? to that. Yeah, I mean, I think first off it's an extremely extremely complex problem. And to your point, you know, there's a there's a lot of sentiment or vendors or people that claim to be a sentiment vendor out there, but the the tricky part is the data science part. So, how do you take raw sentiment data and actually create a signal from it? We've solved for this and what we actually do it's called our MSDX signal, which stands for message sentiment decay model. So, mm-hmm. we're able to basically look at what is the rate of decay of impact of certain news. How long do people remember certain news that we read? So we've gone ahead and actually trained our machines to think like 
humans and modeled that in. So this is the, you know, it's it takes years and years of validation to get the signal to the point of accuracy that we have done. And, you know, it, it's to the point of, you know, a, a drug efficacy trial. That's the type of time it takes. So we feel like we're ahead of that curve. And obviously there are some, the large firms, a lot of them are doing this internally, but it's not made available for your regular RIAs. Quite frankly, the, the cost of doing this and getting the technology up to speed and also delivering it at scale, it's unfathomable for any individual investment manager to really do on their own. And also a lot of these investment managers, they don't have a strong quant team. That's <laughs> staff that they they can't simply employ with the, with the type of assets under management they have. So we are basically being that third party option to license these models to them to basically bridge the gap between the smaller firms and the large, the large. Excellent. So let's talk about the delivery mechanism. So when someone hires you or basically wants to work with you, what do they get in return? Is it a simply a notification of what the is it a model portfolio notifications of the buy and sell, or is there any kind of analytics provided in support of this? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now we are we're small enough to have a very kind of unique relationship with every RAA or investment manager that we work with. So it really depends on the scope of what they want. Typically speaking, obviously we don't want to give away our secret source, but we want to give them enough information so that they can speak at a high level and have enough knowledge around it to portray these models to their clients and get them to assign assets underneath the strategy. So we typically will just send the buy, sell, hold signals. Um, you know, we have three models right now that have been significantly back tested. We are touching about two years of live performance data and two of the models trade weekly. One of them trades monthly. And we also have a, a couple more we're working on that have quarterly rebalance and such. But yeah, typically speaking, before market opens on a Monday morning, we'd send the buy, sell trade signals. We'll provide any kind of larger overview that's necessary. If they have certain questions, we'll dive in the, into the detail. But one of the really unique things is we've noticed, and one thing that RAAs love about these models is, is truly the, the diversification that it brings. So if you take a look at some of the top holdings, they're very unique stocks. In fact, a lot of the managers, they have never even heard of this stock. So a lot of the smaller guys as well, they tend to put a lot of their efforts into ETFs. And you'll find that they're pretty much getting the same coverage mega caps and their diversification is very small. So by implementing our strategy, they're getting exposure to some of the small mid cap stocks that typically they would never even look at. So that's one of the, the unique things and one of the, the benefits that we found RAs really, really love. So this is very similar in terms of like, say, some form of concept to momentum as an indicator, right? So momentum primarily being a price indicator, but you're measuring kind of the human aspect of momentum in a lot of ways. Is that fair to say? Yes. In a, in a roundabout way, we we kind of compare this to, you know, earnings revisions, relative strength, and we've actually done some significant validation with Wall Street equity research firms, also academic studies that have proven our sentiment signal to basically deliver significant alpha by implementing these factors versus, you know, typical fundamentals. Uh, we've actually constructed a, a model with a Wall Street equity research firm where they've gone ahead and used growth value quality, removed momentum and instead replaced it with our new sentiment signal. And that has significantly outperformed any benchmark. So yes, I do think that's a, an accurate statement. And again, I'd I'd love to connect or have that further further touched on by my by my 
CEO who can speak more more to the momentum side. <laughs> no, actually, well, it makes a lot of sense, right? At the end of the day, like, you have the price indicator, but there's other things that can be measured to tell how people feel about it. So I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I know you can't give away the secret sauce of what you looked at. You did mention a bunch of stuff. I'm curious if there were any kind of stories along the way as to something that you thought would be relevant that turned out not to be relevant or something that just really surprised you guys in terms of like saying, oh, we didn't think that would matter at all that <laughs> you'd be able to share. Yeah, I think recently, typically our models up there, we don't pride them on being core strategies by any means. These are very innovative. They typically hold a higher risk and therefore we would offer them as a satellite strategy. So and with that being said, they typically have a lot more up capture than they do downside protections, downside risk. So with that being said, what we've noticed coming into this pretty much very choppy market regime change type of market, we we were a bit hesitant going into it, not knowing, gosh, are these going to overwhelmingly going to um, underperform? like how we've not really entered this type of territory since we began. It's been a very, very heavy bull market for the last few years. So we've been surprised the last couple of months. We have, we've done really, really well, comparatively speaking to the benchmarks, of course. Mm -hmm. So about the only thing we can go off right now. So that's been a, you know, a nice a nice thing to see that, you know, our, our algorithms are picking up very, very accurately what's going on in the market. And it's able to provide that up capture, but also protect on the downside as well. So I think that was something that we were pleased to see. But going back to more of the technology, I think one of the, the biggest hurdles um, is really having the machines to be so financially literate that they can kind of think like a human. So let's say, you know, just a, an anecdotal example, let's say an article is issued, right? And it mentions multiple equities. It's very, very difficult for the machines to be able to get that entity recognition and be able to apply a specific sentiment score to one firm and not the other. So a lot of the sentiment vendors out there right now, they can't differentiate. So let's say Forbes issues an article that mentions Microsoft, Google, Amazon. What it will typically do is what's called a bag of words. It will count the positive words, negative words, and it will apply whichever one overweighs will apply that sentiment to all the firms. And that's quite frankly inaccurate. So you'll find a lot of these mm-hmm. robo-advisors are taking these very basic measures of sentiment and they're making trades, which is moving markets. So it is a big problem. And, and so what we've been able to do, again, leading back to the technology, but you know, another example, if vitamin C is mentioned, how do you associate that sentence, which is positive to the healthcare company mentioned in paragraph number one versus applying that sentence with vitamin C into Citibank because the yeah. ticker symbol for Citi is, is C. So that's what we've solved for. And that's where we we really find, you know, we're the only firm to be doing this at this type of level. So that's, I don't know if that answers your question. I digressed a little, well, but... <laughs> it's not quite an answer to the question, but it's an interesting challenge you brought up. I mean, it's something as simple as saying, hey, you know, Microsoft's an interesting company to invest in because of XYZ. And by the way, is this better than Apple, Amazon, and Google, right? As you said, if this is a rousingly popular or like positive article about Microsoft, those positive words count. But then the competitors who they said they do better than are in there as a comparison. But the, you know, if you're just doing again the, the entire count of words and it applies equally to all of them, you're not getting the true sentiment. You're getting yeah. you're just yeah, you're just getting a, a reference point. Exactly. And, and and some don't even go as as far as you know counting all of the words in the article. 
Liverpool, they'll base it simply off the headline. So yeah, we, we're priding ourselves on being one that can actually provide a validated alpha signal to, to stem from, from the signals. Yeah, excellent. So talk to me about the portfolio composition. So how many positions do you typically hold in these things? Is there mm-hmm. an advice to, to cash? You know, what, what's going on there? Yeah, so we're, we're always 100% uh, invested. Uh, there's no allocation right now to cash. Again, we're working on multiple uh, models that some have hedging strategies, some don't. But right now, the ones that we have typically are a uh, majority of 30 tickers, all equal weight. And then we have mm-hmm. one strategy, which is six, 60 tickers, again, all equal weight. But yes, the holdings, we recommend you know trading these models in an IRA account just for, for tax efficiency purposes right now, because you know we're holding about 70% of the stocks will remain the same. And then there's about a 30% turnover. But yeah, that's typically the composition and it's all US equities. Right now, we don't have global coverage. We 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 license, obviously, globally. The US stock market is the biggest, uh, so everyone has an interest. But yes, right now, we just cover US equities. We, we cover all of them. However, in order to get a strong enough signal, we typically have coverage for about 3,000, some of the small you know, the smaller stocks, they simply don't have enough media coverage for us to be able to drive mm. a signal from. Well, that's interesting because, I mean, you did mention you were pointing to more small micro caps than would normally be exposed to, but at the same yeah. time, you still have the challenge of, of volume. Now, is there, yeah. I mean, maybe you can answer this, is, is there consideration for the size of a company in terms of, or, or the amount of coverage it gets in terms of the sentiment you're looking for? Like, you know, do you need an overwhelming amount of sentiment for Apple, whereas you need a very small amount of sentiment for, let's call it GameStop, for example? <laughs> that's a great point. So basically what we look at is we score, yes, to your point, yes, there's a volume play, there's a frequency play, a reliability mm-hmm. aspect. So there's a multiple multiple approaches that go into this. Again, not the one to answer that question in depth. But yes, ultimately the way it works is we use what's called, uh, it's a blend. So we look at daily sentiment. So the sentiment on that stock as of that day, and then also like a the momentum of the sentiment as of late. And so with that myriad of the two, that's ultimately, you know, how we go ahead and move the stocks in or out of a portfolio model. So so talk to me about the feedback you got from the market in general when you first came out. Was it very much like, oh, thank God someone's actually going to be able to do this for me? Is Or was it novel? Or was it people basically just saying, okay, well, prove it first as opposed to back testing it? Like, what was the general consensus? Again, we're kind of in our go-to-market approach. So, you know, we've been targeting smaller independent RAs who have found great success. We also, you know, have worked with some large, larger institutionals. So we're covering a lot of bases. And I think for those who have a good quant understanding, it's very easy for them to understand and realize the, the opportunity at hand by working with us. One of the obstacles we've run into, obviously, as you know, is it's a very sticky industry. And typical investment manager is very much stuck in their own ways of thinking. This whole technology play, innovation play is something that we're quite frankly, we're still ahead of the curve on. It's new, it's different, and it's a lot of people are still somewhat opposed to it, afraid of it, don't understand it. So there's been a lot of education. And that's one thing that we're, we're really working on is not only the education of the, the artificial intelligence aspect, but how can you use this in your strategy or how can you use this in your marketing to go ahead and gain new clients that maybe are of a younger generation or simply have an appetite for this whole new world of AI. You know, AI is such a buzzword now and there's complex levels of AI and then there's the the very basic and it's difficult for people to understand the, the different boundaries that AI really 
offers to them. So a lot of education. Um, and, you know, I think time will tell. Like I said, we're, we're very early um, bringing AI to finance. I think a lot of other industries in general have adopted AI far sooner than, than finance has. You look at healthcare, retail, you know, they, they're experts on the matter. And I think it's time that the finance industry really picks up the game and allows some less subjective tools to, to be in place. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I asked everybody then the positive note. The first one was, if you had one wish for something to change in your company, the industries as a whole, what would it be? Oh gosh, it sounds, well, I guess this sounds kind kind of ridiculous, but the ability to predict, right? I mean, of course, we all want to be able to predict the stock market, but... You want a crystal ball, yeah. So do I. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One that works. Um, that would be an ideal change for, for the industry as a whole. But but no, to dive deeper in that point, I think the stock market, what we call in data science is non-stationary, meaning all of these market regime changes are fluid. Mm -hmm. They have unique impact. So if there was an easier way to re reliably predict the style rotation, sector rotation, size rotation of markets, we'd be able to predict, we'd basically be able to build much more robust models, limit drawdowns, deliver alpha, and ultimately allow quantitative AI models to be the ultimate problem solver. So that would be... Well, let's, let's also be frank. If you could do that, you probably would keep it to yourself <laughs> so that no one else basically, you know, the, the question is how long, how many people could actually employ that before it all got arbitraged yeah, away anyway right, right? so no you're yes. spot on yeah there's, there's a reason why uh, renaissance technologies doesn't play with others Absolutely. all right so second question for you is what's been the biggest challenge to date and getting the company to where it is i think the biggest challenge is has been creating a compelling value for customers and i think every firm faces this you know ultimately finding the perfect product market fit and it's the existential question for all firms, what happens if we don't exist? So I think that's, you know, really been something that we've, we're still working on, you know, working on the messaging, the delivery, but we ultimately believe that by creating and leveraging the sentiment as a unique proprietary signal, investors are able to look at the stock market through a different lens. Yeah. And gives, it kind of allows us to pursue the challenge of finding the early adopters who want a new way of looking at the stock market behaviors. So yeah, I would say, you know, just finding that perfect product market fit has been has been the challenge so far. Last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up out of bed to keep on doing the good work that you're doing there? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an ever-changing game, but I think the robustness and adaptive nature of our models is is really what's so exciting. I think the fact that our models are entirely systematic, there's no human interven intervention and you know, it remains low cost, it leads to a very, very scalable model. So we don't need to employ hundreds of PhD analysts and experts to deliver alpha. We're able to create, you know, a large unlimited number of models for that fact of models that leverage AI, quantitative modeling and so on. So I think the scalability aspect and where the fact that we're in such incumbent phases of AI in the finance space, that's really what's exciting for me to be in and around this atmosphere and learning from learning from the best. Excellent. Well, Rebecca, thank you very much for your time. I very much appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. And that was today's episode of FinTech Impact. If you've enjoyed this podcast, as always, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.